Hi guys, welcome back to Intern Investing. As always, it's me, Connor, Jamie, and Zane. We got some good stuff today. The first thing we're going to cover is Meta. Meta, believe it or not, is underperforming the market in the lifetime of this business after they have fallen nearly 75% from their all-time highs. Jamie, you want to kind of give some color to the situation that's going on right now? Yeah, you know, um, man, Meta's just had a not the best performance. I mean, they changed... I, I was actually talking about this with my professor. We were discussing Meta right now and, you know, that they have this rock solid business of social media being Instagram and Facebook. That's, I, I, I mean, while I have concerns about that, all that aside, it's a good business that has stood the test of time. Yes, they're copying, um, you know, some aspects of not innovating themselves, but that's besides the point. But they're making just a full shift towards the metaverse. They named their company Meta. You don't see Google naming their business instead of Alphabet, Waymo, or, or something like that, or not any of their other bets. They're, this should be another uh, uh, other bet for, for Meta, yet they're not. They're gushing cash and they're spending tons of money to accelerate this thing that hasn't come to fruition yet. Look, I get investing um, in, you know, potential ideas that are, that, have um, room to grow, like, you know, if you're looking to build a fintech platform or something like that. But investing and putting so much money, the rate that Meta is, um, in something that has not gained any traction whatsoever, and by the most part, the vast majority of people don't care about it yet. Um, I see that as a mistake. And clearly with, with shares dropping, it was something like 30% after earnings, after basically saying, hey, we're going to continue investing um, into this metaverse stuff. Um, I think all of the investors are following, uh, you know, are following in, in, in my belief here, but you know, um, it's not to mention that the, the core business is struggling. I mean, revenue declined 44% while costs and expenses rose 19% and that caused net income to get cut in half, um, in the third quarter. So, um, I'm, I'm staying far, far away from Meta right now. So I've seen some commentary about this and I tend to agree. I think the worst part it's not even necessarily the earnings, but like you touched on, Jamie, it is the fact that they're all in on the metaverse and it kind of highlights questionable management, you know, around Zuckerberg specifically. And I've seen the term hubris thrown around a lot. And that's definitely not a quality you want your your managers to have. Um and I, I think the good thing about where Zuckerberg is is that he is very decisive. But the question is, like you said, is this the right bet to be taking and to going to be going all in on? I don't think that's the case. And he's spending so much money on it. And right now they're just hanging their hat on Instagram and a and a nine PE ratio. And that's really all I have in the bullish column for Meta. It doesn't matter if he's decisive if he's not making the right decisions. You can make decisions all you want, but if they're the wrong decisions, that doesn't mean jack. So um, yeah, and and the other thing for me is if a company starts losing uh, monthly active users or subscribers, whatever that metric is, they start losing that audience, that customer base, or the growth slows substantially, which it has for like most of Facebook's platforms and and Facebook itself. That is a huge red flag for me, and I'm re I'd be really tempted to get out of Meta. Um, the, the investment club that that I'm in actually bought Meta maybe a month or two ago, 
um, and is down Yikes. roughly fifty percent right now. Um, it, it's not looking good. Um, and their their whole pitch was the metaverse, and I think we're all getting burned on that. Connor, tell well, us okay, why we're so wrong. I listen. I, I'm. I don't think I'm completely on the other side of you guys. Like I think the name change is dumb. I think taking the stance that putting the entire company's future on the metaverse is dumb, which I don't think they're really doing, but that's kind of the brand marketing that they have. Um, do I don't completely agree with that decision. But what I do know is that there is no other social media platform out there that's able to monetize the way that Facebook is. There's, it's, it's not in existence. Um, Twitter couldn't do it. It turns out it's a lot more difficult than people thought. Um, Snapchat can't do it. Uh, I think those are two fantastic examples of platforms with millions and millions of users similar to Facebook, but they can't monetize those users. So I think Facebook obviously has something good going for it where it's got millions of users. Um, it obviously is has been able to generate a ton of free cash flow from those users. It's been able to buy back a lot of stock, although they bought back a ton of stock at the top, unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, I just look at the platform and I think, could it be a value trap? Yes, 100%. I fell into the value trap of Coinbase and I'm very hesitant to um, do that again. You know, I actually bought Meta last week because I thought there were some things that PayPal was doing that, I heavily disagreed with, and I was like, you know what? I think the risk reward here, obviously PayPal's cheaper than it has been historically. Meta's cheaper than it has been historically. I'm just gonna sell some PayPal shares and buy into Meta. And this wasn't because I had some grand thesis about why Meta was going to be a fantastic investment. I just thought it potentially could be better than PayPal. Um, so, I mean, listen, I, I'm not a huge bull on Meta, but I think the value is interesting here. And I don't, no, if it's, it could be a value trap. Like I said, it could be a value trap and people could be looking ahead. And what we mean when we say value trap is that, you know, they're obviously trading at a cheap price, but they're trading at a cheap price for a reason. And that's because investors are looking ahead. When you look at their forward PE ratio being higher than their current PE ratio, that's telling. Um, so, I mean, there's, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and like argue with you that the metaverse is going to be an incredible, you know, world changing thing, but I, I think the possibility is there. I think the Connor, I, I want to push, I want to push back a little bit. Go ahead, Jamie. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll go. I want to, I want to push back on what you said, Connor. I mean, yes, Meta has good, you know, social platforms um, being, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook. Those are the two big ones. Um, and they are currently able to monetize better than other social media platforms. But I don't think that would be able to or that could potentially continue. I mean, we're seeing advertising revenue growth stagnate in total revenue. Uh, revenue growth um, basically stagnated. It's, it's basically been flat since Q4 2020 um, in all the way to most recent qu quarter Q3 2022. But not only that, I mean, there if just... it doesn't continue, it has to be due to losing users. So if you're going to make the case that they might not be able to continue with their advertising revenue, you have to make the case that they're going to lose a lot of users, 
Which, and I'm going to make that case that they're using there you go. that they're going to lose a lot of users because there's competition in this space. First of all, when it comes to Facebook, I'm going to ignore Instagram for a second. When it comes to Facebook, that is a uh, what I believe a dying brand. I don't think anybody under 30 is really a daily or even monthly user of Facebook. So, you know, as as the group that doesn't use Facebook grows, you what? You use Facebook? Anyway, Facebook marketplace mainly. Okay, so not actual, fa- or not, you know, not the social media platform, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think that is more of a dying brand as, um, you know, the younger consumer demographic, you know, ourselves and basically anybody under 30 continues to grow and take more share of the total population. But um, Instagram, it's been one of the, you know, best investments Facebook's ever made, but they're facing a lot of competition, not only from, you know, things like Snapchat or Twitter, but from emerging um, uh social media platforms that aren't even public yet. You can think of TikTok or or Be Real. I personally haven't used Be Real, but I know it's becoming incredibly popular. And some of, some of those gonna are facing... Be Real Be Real's going to be gone in less than a year. I, I Be Real is going to be gone. That was, that was a good one. That was yeah. Good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, even, okay, even, even if you're excluding Be Real, there's a lot of competition that's rising US up. U.S. government what, bans TikTok. Elon Musk makes a better TikTok. That's a bear case right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you you hear they might spin off Vine? Yeah. What I heard the rumor was is Elon gave Twitter employees a direct uh, order. I don't know. I don't even know. They told the engineers at Twitter to make a Vine, a new Vine-type platform by the end of the year. So in two months... We could all be back on Vine and off of TikTok. You never know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. It's it's not, again, I'm not making this investment because I think it's, uh, it's a very, very small position. Again, it was just because I wanted to offload some PayPal shares and Facebook is really cheap and they've been a successful business in the past and maybe their management team can make it successful in the future. And this is not, I'm not going by the Warren Buffett rules here where he says, you've got, what, 20, 20 stocks that you can pick. What are your favorite 20? And make sure that each stock you own is in that list uh, of your top 20. It's not. Um, and I haven't done a ton of due diligence on Facebook either. So it's not really something that I uh, will sit here and argue with you about. It's just, hey, I sold a little PayPal and bought some Meta because it was cheap, you know? Yeah, so. that's fair. I mean, Anyways, um Go ahead, Zane. I was just going to say, bottom bottom line for me, this lag is terrible. (laughs) Bottom line for me is the the net income is down 50% year over year. Stagnating revenue. And it's been decreasing for the past, like, five quarters. Right. They're becoming becoming less profitable. And there's no, like, great excuse for the net income down 50%. Yes, like, the investment in the metaverse. Yes, there is. It's not a great excuse to me. What's what's the excuse? Is, Is it that? That is the excuse. Yeah, that's not. I don't Pumping know if that flies. That. that doesn't fly for me. Oh my goodness, it does not fly. <laughs> it's also the fact that revenues remain basically flat while operating expenses have continued to increase. Operating expenses, not just the metaverse operating expenses. They're hiring what too many got, people. Yeah, I mean, you, have you guys seen the think- uh, like the the clips of day in the life at? At Meta, day in the life at wherever, yeah. and it's these like twenty-three-year-old <laughs> employees who just waste their day with no work. It's so funny. 
It is funny. I um, I totally lost my train of thought. Jamie, did you have something? Nope. Okay. I was nope. hoping you could come up with something. Um, let's 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 move let's on move to on earnings. Um, earnings. All right. Yeah. So I I I put this um in the doc. Or, or you want to talk about the the broad based um, like what we're thinking about earnings season overall? Is that what you're referring to, Connor? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've, I've been thinking about this question a lot because I'm not 100% sure, but there's been a lot of negative sentiment in the markets recently, um, you know, for a wide variety of reasons. You can really pick and choose what you what bear case you want to hear. And there's been a lot of it recently. And so a lot of com- a, a few companies uh, earning season is just getting started, but a few companies have um not done too hot meta being one google being another um big big companies um and yet there are also companies that are surprising to the upside that you might not have expected i mean apple um despite a potential recession whatever you want to say we're in right now um they saw really healthy growth in all of in you know most of their business segments but so i'm sitting here I have, I think, like 10 companies reporting this week, uh, something like 10 or 15 reporting next week. Earnings season is coming up um, it, it, if it's not already here. And I'm thinking, okay, is this going to be a, a earnings season where there's so much negative sentiment already baked into stock prices that we're going to see a lot of upside or, you know, surprises on the upside from companies um, or, you know, even just mediocre earnings that are just better than what uh, Wall Street is expecting, or do you think there's still more pain, uh, you know, to, that that has been unrealized or not priced into the market yet? So, earnings are typically a lagging indicator, um, and and that's in terms of the economy. So, the economy could enter a recession in terms of GDP, and earnings will lag that, and eventually downturn in earnings will show up later. And so, I. <laughs> Personally, I don't think we've really like last week when all the mega caps were reporting earnings and missing all except for Apple. Uh, did Microsoft miss as well? I think they did. Yeah. So all yep. all the mega caps um, missed last week. Some of them pretty badly, including me- uh, including Meta. And so. Yes, that was bad, um, but I don't think we've seen the worst yet. I think next quarter and the quarter after could be significantly worse than than we're seeing right now. And that's because I think it takes time for consumers to realize that they really are in a recession. Um, you know, when they have variable rate debt or floating rate debt on certain items, whatever those might be, and the rates go up significantly, or maybe they don't have enough purchasing power anymore. Maybe they have a floating rate mortgage. Um, whatever that might be, interest rates affect you know, all cracks of the economy. They really infiltrate every bit of the economy when they're going up. And so I think it's just gonna take a little bit of time for consumers to realize the type position that they're in. Um, and potentially that spending will affect uh, affect the, the bottom line of some of these companies in the next two quarters. But I don't think we've seen the worst yet, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I also think it's going to be, I, I also think it's going to be a mixed bag a little bit too. Like I think a lot of cash generative businesses might miss expectations, but there's no serious worry in terms of outlook. I, I haven't seen a lot of that yet. Um, whereas I think a lot of 
cash burning businesses, there is going to be some pretty serious worry for the outlook of those businesses. So that's, that's my take for, for what's, what's to come later this quarter. Just a, just a quick highlight, Airbnb, they just reported, I'm looking at, I've been looking at the results this night, cash generating business actually, actually their most profitable quarter, yet they're down about 6% solely based off of a slight miss on guidance for the fourth quarter by like, uh, I think it was something to the tune of like 10 million bucks or something like that, that they missed guidance. So, um, I agree with your sentiment, Connor, but for what it's worth, uh, one example where it is completely the opposite. <laughs> Well, that's, that's not actually that, – that's along the lines of what I'm talking about, though, where they had a slight miss on guidance. There's nothing serious to worry about where, yes, guidance may fall a little bit and the market may overreact because pessimistic investors will find reasons to be pessimistic whether they're true reasons to worry or not. And I think that's what the case is with Airbnb, if, if what you're saying is you know, right there. So. Zane, you want to speak? You haven't talked on this topic yet. I don't have too much to add on earnings, honestly. I just am more convinced that it's as, as good a time as any to keep investing and finding the businesses that, yes, while everyone might be underperforming, finding the ones that aren't underperforming as much or the reasons are adding up why they're underperforming. Like Meta's excuse, or not excuse, but the, the reason for Meta's earnings miss going all in on the metaverse and that investment basically doesn't hold as much water as, you know, um, a company that genuinely has some kind of, you know, operational reason or maybe foreign exchange reason why their, why their earnings are down or why they missed. Um, I, I'm just looking for companies that have less or, or more systemic problems and less um, specific problems to their business. I have a question that literally just popped into my mind as you're talking about, you know, continuously investing in high quality companies. You know, I'm a primarily a tech investor. And because of that, a, a large portion of my portfolio is down something to the tune of, you know, 30, 40, 50, 70 percent, either from all time highs or year to date. Yet there is a. a it's been growing uh, part of my portfolio that is investing in really stable, um, high quality companies. You can think of the Chipotle's, the waste management's, the Costco's of the world. And so I was looking at waste management the other day. It's down something like 4% year to date, um, while the market's down like 20 and change or something like that. And they had a really good quarter. I'm looking at waste management. I'm thinking, man, I should probably add more to this company because it's such a high quality business and it's so stable. But then I'm looking, I'm, maybe this is, maybe I'm price anchoring and maybe that's a problem, but I'm looking at waste management down 4% year to date and it is not cheap. It trades at something like above 30 times earnings. So not cheap. And then I'm looking at some of these beaten down companies, um, uh, these beaten down tech stocks that are 50% down from their all time highs. Not only that, but they're also trading at relatively cheap prices, you know, uh, whether it's their cheapest valuation in company history or, uh, you know, over the past like five years, they're trading at their lowest free cash flow or earnings multiple. And so I'm thinking, I mean, I'm really hung up here because at, at, on one point, I want to be buying these stable companies. On the other hand, I want to be buying companies that are really, really cheap right now and taking advantage of this, what I think is a once in a lifetime, um, you know, uh, sale or at least, uh, you know, a, a, a screaming opportunity to buy uh, some high quality companies that are down a lot. So, yeah, Jamie, um, what do you guys think I should do? Just because you're thinking about 
buying more waste management, I think you should go the other way. I think whatever seems easier to do, sometimes it's, or most of the time it's going to be better off doing the opposite. You know what I mean? If it's like, oh, wow, uh, bonds look really attractive right now because they're safe and, you know, it's a risk-off play. Maybe that's the time to put on risk, just psychologically. That, that's how I think about it. And also, I think you have to find the high-quality businesses that are grouped in with the arcs. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think there are some high-quality businesses out there that have not been hit hard um, you know, they were, they're trading at decent valuations and well, maybe they've, maybe they've come down, you know, 30, 40 points in terms of price to earnings. And, uh, is that, is that how you say it? 30, if, if you're at like a 50 PE and you go down to a 20, can you say down 30 points? I don't know. I don't know how to say that. But, um, anyways, if you come down from like a 50 PE to a 20 PE and you're grouped in with those art companies, but you are a high quality business. Yeah. Scoop that up. You know, like if you're going to buy Pubmatic and it's trading at a cheaper valuation than waste management, I mean, I'd say go for it. But if you're going to buy Snowflake, I'd be like, eh, maybe you should buy some waste management. You know, like I, that's, that's kind of the way I see it, where there are reasons some of these companies are down, but there are some really high quality businesses mixed in to uh, those ARC style stocks. That's what I would do personally. But again, there's never a bad time to buy a high quality business. You know what I mean? Like I was looking at Cintas. Um, they do clothes rentals and a couple other random boring business things. They're like a 10 X stock over the last decade. It's pretty incredible. Um, and it's just super boring, but they're trading at a third, they're trading at 35 times earnings right now. <laughs> like this is by far the most expensive this business has ever been. And it's probably because a lot of money is flowing into those boring safe businesses, similar to waste management, um, just like what you're talking about. So I don't know what to do. I mean, I just say buy high quality businesses at all time, anytime you can, and you'll be better off. And sometimes there are some good value buried in, uh, into some tech growth names. I guess hard, the hardest problem I think for me right now is separating the um, some of my speculative bets that are you know the the specul the snowflakes of the world. I wouldn't say that is a bad company. I think that they provide amazing services and amazing products. Um, but those that's one of my speculative bets. Whereas you know having these high quality companies that I'm willing to concentrate in a little more, you can think of Pubmatic, although that is also a speculative bet because there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of risk in there. But the, the 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 separation between the less risky tech companies that I own and the speculative um, tech companies that I own, but all of which are down significantly, many of which are trading at extremely uh, appealing multiples. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's tempting. I, it's tempting not to add to companies like Snowflake or Twilio when they're down 50, 60, 70 percent and trading at, at absolute bargain prices when I like their products, just maybe not their, uh, you know, their um, balance sheet or cash flow statement. Yeah. One, one company that I own that I have to look back at is Celsius Holdings. They're Ooh, up 22. Celsius? Yeah, they're, they're up 22 percent this year. I've, I've, they're actually, I think they're the top performer in my portfolio, maybe besides Tesla, because <laughs> um, I've, I've owned them for a while and they've really done well. Uh, I haven't looked at them probably in six months, maybe nine months. Um, so apparently they've been doing well. I know that they had this partnership 
with Pepsi for distribution routes, which is apparently really, really going to help. Um, but that's one that I, I got to look back on. But they're trading at 475 times earnings. Like, how what is a company... What about the free cash flow? Let's see. Let's Show see me the price to free cash, cash flow. If, if they're trading at triple-digit PE, they're not optimized for profits, and therefore the PE ratio is just absolutely useless in my book. Let's see. Let's see. Um... Oh no! It's just as well, bad. Is it on why is charts, it on on why charts, there is there is no price to free cash flow uh, metric that comes up. So <laughs> that means bad things. <laughs> Let's see. No, no, negative, no free cash negative, flow generation. Neg- Yikes! Negative twenty eight million in free cash flow. So oh uh, my how's god! A, how is a cash burning company trading at four hundred seventy five times earnings in this how's economy? It, how does that a cash burning company up twenty two percent in this yeah. economy, man? <laughs> Christ! I found the one. I found the diamond in the rough. It must be growing <laughs> so <Nada>. fast. <laughs> they they are. are. They are. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty incredible, actually. Um, but so, anyways, Connor, you're reading a Musk book and Twitter. Now. That I yeah, want to talk so, about because we're talking about all these tech stocks and growth names, and this seems very relevant. And what you have some business advice for us now? Yes, the the book has got it's chock full of all this all this good stuff: business advice, entrepreneurial advice, investor advice. Honestly, um, but so Nick Rosalillo, who's been on the show a lot of times um, on our YouTube. So if you're listening on our podcast platforms. He hasn't been on here. We should have him on in the podcast at some point. He's great. Uh, but he's been on a lot of YouTube videos with us talking about a bunch of different stocks that he owns over on our YouTube channel. And he recommended that people read the book called Chip War. And it sounded interesting to me uh, because I've always been interested in semiconductors. But at the same time, I don't have a great understanding of them. Um, So I'm invested in all these semiconductor companies and I don't understand the technology that they have. And so I decided that I would take a gander and start to read this book. And in the introduction, this is the sentence that hooked me right here. So last year, the chip industry produced more transistors, which are, so when you have a semiconductor, um, there is a bunch of code, a one and a zero. Those are the two things that can be a part of the line of code. A one means on, meaning funnel the electricity through the transistor, and a zero means stop. So don't funnel the, tran- uh, the electricity through. And so a combination of all these transistors in this small little semiconductor chip or big semiconductor chip um, make up a semiconductor and you know literally our entire world is built on it. So that's what a transistor is. The, and this, this is the quote. Last year, the chip industry produced more transistors than the combined quantity of all goods produced by all other companies in all other industries in all of human history. That's pretty crazy. I mean, this is trillions and trillions. I think it was a quintillion was quintillion transistors were produced last year, which is like 18 zeros. Think about that. That's a massive number. Is it fair to use that metric and talk about transistors as a single product i mean i guess they're not making that claim that it's a product but that's kind of the way they're talking about it like you could say like you could say the same thing for like 
grains of sand. You know what I mean? If a company mines sand, right, they measure it in probably metric tons or something. You know, they could be like, well, we produce more grains of sand than, you know, every I mean, other yeah, that's true. <laughs> It is true. It is true. Yeah. But I just thought that's it was a cool way. quote that kind of hooked you at the beginning. It's like, wow, this is insane how much they're producing. And so they went into an explanation in the book of how like the first semiconductor chip was made, which is really, really fascinating. Um, I can't remember the name of the person that, that came up with it, but they were trying to figure out how to imprint um, a semiconductor, all these different transistors, the, the, the print on a, a piece of silicon. And they realized that when you took a magnifying glass and obviously when you hold it the right way, the light you know, comes through and everything looks a little bit bigger. But when you flip it the other way, everything looks a little bit smaller. And obviously light goes through a, uh, a magnifying glass just like any other lens would. And so they went to Kodak uh, this company, I believe it was Fairchild Semiconductor, and, and Bob Noyce, I believe, was this guy, but I may be mixing up names because there's a bunch of names in this book. So what they came up with at Fairchild was, well, at Kodak has this material that we can put on top of silicon, and that will actually, when light hits it, it takes it whatever light hits that material on top of the silicon, it impresses that light onto the silicon or the shape of that light onto the silicon if you kind of understand what i'm what i'm going at here so if you have a moon shaped magnifying glass and you shine it on silicon with the kodak material on top a moon will appear in the silicon you get what i'm saying so gotcha. okay i think y'all y'all got it y'all got it so what they came up with was because they were struggling to build these small semiconductors because their hands could not go in and build all of these different transistors and put all these different transistors in, they decided, hey, why don't we just imprint this design on this piece of silicon and we'll flip the magnifying glass around and then the light will come through and it will hit that Kodak material and then it will imprint that onto the silicon. And so they would put the design in the magnifying glass and only let that light get through. And so I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating learning about stuff that, and obviously you can tell that I don't, I'm not a professional with, with semiconductors, as you can tell from my explanation of this, but it is really interesting. Um, so if you're interested in that, definitely, definitely go check it out. And it talks about, you know, the, the war between Russia, the war between, you know, Russia and the U.S. and how they're, fighting to to create better technology and just kind of the foundations of that business and i assume that it will get into the u.s china stuff later in the book but good recommendation nick are there any any takeaways in terms of business or investing ideas yeah so this one kind of relates to facebook um, I thought about bringing this up earlier in the podcast, but I didn't want to too soon. So Bob Noyce, he was one of the founders of Fairchild Semiconductor, um, started this company in 1957. And they had a giant customer on their doorstep on day one. That was the U.S. government and the U.S. military. So they wanted a bunch of this technology, a bunch of their chips for all of their military equipment. And they wanted to take all of their time to basically make them a direct contractor for the U.S. military and do nothing else. Bob Noyce was looking at these massive million-dollar checks in his face. We could take this right now. We could develop all this technology for the U.S. military. 
And he looked at it and he thought, well, the opportunity is obviously pretty big there, right? We've got million dollar checks at our doorstep from the US military. We can take that, turn it into a great business. But he saw the consumer business on the horizon. And he was like, listen, I know we could take the millions of dollars right now, but we're gonna actually wait and this is gonna become much more successful in the future if we can get these to consumers and consumer electronics. So he actually made sure that the U.S. military was less than 4% of their overall revenue, and he started promoting their products to, to consumers, and they actually dropped the prices to less than from $20 a chip to less than $2 a chip. Uh, in some cases, they were losing money, so they, were, they had negative gross profits on some of these, um, but it turned into a really, really successful business. And so... I don't know. I think that's a great business example there where you can have a visionary that sees things that may not be profitable in the present. Um, they may not be the best decision from everyone outside looking in saying, hey, you've got people willing to give you millions of dollars for this technology and you're saying no. And he's saying, well, I, I can't take all of this money. I can't become a direct contractor for the U.S. military because that'll take all my time and I won't have time for the consumer business. So I'm going to make sure that they're a small part of our business and we're going to focus on consumers and this will be more profitable in the future. Turns out it was, he was right. Um, so I just thought that reminded me of Mark Zuckerberg. We'll see if it works out. That reminds me. Of I, I have, an, I have another CEO that reminds me of, of that, you know, visionary, always looking forward mindset and in a much better light than uh, reminding you of Zuckerberg, because as, <laughs> as, as I made it clear, like 30 minutes ago, I do not have a very bright outlook anyway. Um, and that CEO is, is Jeff Green, which is the CEO and, and founder of the trade desk. Now, you know, um, Green was, you know, a visionary to start, you know, just to build the business of digital advertising and have that um, middleman because, you know, there, there is, uh, you know, a platform like Google that says, hey, we can represent both the, um, you know, the, the publisher of the ad and the advertiser and we'll make money on both ends. That's great. Um, you know, Jeff Green wanted to go in and, uh, you know, disrupt what Google is doing in a different sense. And so there's the first big question. Why are you trying to disrupt Google? That seems like an idiotic idea. And he's like, well, if we are uh, completely, uh, you know, a, a um, an intermediary with no, uh, you know, hidden objectives or, or incentives, um, we can be a much uh, more attractive business uh, than, you know, going to a place like Google. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And that has been incredibly successful for the trade desk. Then, the Trade Desk makes a moves away from cookies, and they develop their own Unified ID 2.0 platform that is meant to be the, uh, you know, um, the, oh, my God, I'm having a, a blank here. What word are you looking for? Getting rid of, re replacing. It's, it, it's oh, meant to, oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's meant to replace cookies and people are like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Cookies are so valuable. Um, and then you now cookies are going, falling by the wayside and many big tech companies are getting rid of it. And that, and then they're making another step saying, okay, we're going to make you ID two free and, uh, you know, open source. People are saying you're an idiot. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And really it's to gather customers and gather data, which the trade desk can use to help advertisers. And then 
They're making a CTV push in towards connected TV and in streaming. All of these decisions have been forward-looking, extremely forward-looking, and every single time along the way, Jeff Green and the Trade Desk have been criticized for it, and it's turned out to be, uh, you know, uh, an amazing move and pivot, uh, reimagining the the advertising industry. It's I mean, that's the um, CEO that's came to mind first when I when I hear visionary and thinking forward. Yeah, so I don't have a specific CEO that comes to mind right now, um, but I will say uh, what came up for me in, in my head is thinking about serial entrepreneurship. And I used to think of serial entrepreneurs running companies as more of a risk, um, but now I'm starting to shift and see it as a positive because you need a CEO that is capable and, and efficient and can run a business at the end of the day. And being a serial entrepreneurship can yes it can be a distraction but i think what really matters is you know the core competencies of your founder uh, of your ceo and your executive management so if you have a, a, a manager who's showing over and over again that they can be a successful entrepreneur or or even take the venture into entrepreneurship whether or not it's successful i think i don't know i'm starting to think that it's it's fair to you know actually like that about management and see that as a as a positive for an investment rather than a distraction you heard it from the elon fanboy first serial entrepreneurship <laughs> at the helm of companies oh, it's a good thing that's a tough um, one that is stretching <laughs> that is stretching my claim to the furthest of extents with elon <laughs> buying twitter <laughs> y'all think he's gonna actually be successful with that no. Why? No. I kind of say, yeah, why not? What, what hasn't like he been successful with yet? He's been successful with everything, so I'm at least giving him the benefit of the doubt at this point. Yes, he's on a rough starting point with Twitter, but it's no worse than it was with Tesla or SpaceX, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, look, paying what what was it, forty four billion dollars for a company that just can't monetize for the life of itself? Um, I the, form, I, I the would, former company could not okay monetize. the former company, but the way <laughs> that that Musk is trying or at least saying he's going to increase monetization, I don't think is is the right way. Zane or or Connie, you guys can give a little more detail, but the the main gist is is that he is um, basically just trying to put specific things behind a paywall. You can watch less ads if you're if you, you know, buy this uh, subscription or, or or buy this added feature and things like that. I'm, I'm getting that right, right? Yeah, so it, it would be <laughs> yes, sort of. It, it's so funny because Originally, Elon tweets, okay, $20 a month for the subscription and you get your verified account and, you know, this list of benefits. Jesus. Then Stephen King goes, hell no, I'm not paying 20 bucks a month. And Elon <laughs> comes back and goes, how about eight? So <laughs> as of now, it looks like it's going to be $8 a month thanks to some haggling going on. And the thing is, I saw another tweet about this, that even if every currently verified Twitter account goes for this and buys the $8 a month subscription, that total revenue pales in comparison to Twitter's ad revenue. It's, it's like a tiny drop in the bucket. So where the money would really be is getting more currently unverified users to opt for this verification or monthly subscription option. Um, and 
you know, he's expressed interest in continuing the advertising model, making the ads more and more focused. I, I want to get your take on this as well. He said that good, you know, bad ads are something like I'm paraphrasing here, but bad ads are are noise and kind of a distraction. And but good ads can actually be content. So if you focus on well targeted ads, it can be meaningful and really uh, be useful to users and therefore drive revenue. I'm. Yeah, I think I'm, I think that could definitely happen. Um, I I don't I really have never enjoyed an ad in my entire life, no matter how same, good it is or targeted at me. I mean, maybe some Instagram ads where they have some products that I'm interested in. That's nice, uh, but then I just feel creeped out because they're listening to everything that I say. Um, but you know, I th- I don't know. I I think that may be cool. I saw this great suggestion though. And someone on Twitter said that for the there should be tiers to the verification, that there should be the blue tier, which is the $8 a month for your typical very verified user. And then there should be a gold tier, which is for celebrities. And so for a lot of these like content creators, famous people that you want on the platform that drive engagement and drive other people to the platform, that should be free for them because they're benefiting the company. So you have a gold tier, which is similar to the way that it is now, where you have verified users that are famous, celebrities, whatnot. Or, so, so you do the gold tier, but you, so you can either get that from being a celebrity or you can pay $1,000 a month for. And so it's still this status symbol. And then some people that maybe are pretty well off that think that status, it becomes like a status symbol because it's so expensive. You know what I mean? And so I thought that was really interesting where people care so much about their image. A lot of wealthy people that may not be celebrities care about their image that they think they're important and would go ahead and buy the thousand dollar or maybe $500 a month or whatever it might be. I think that's a monetization method that they could use in the future. We'll see. I think, I, guys, I think we're over or um, you know thinking too hard about this. For me, this might be an oversimplification, but simply the best way to increase monetization is just make your ads better targeted. I am on yeah. Twitter probably two to five hours every single day. There is no way that they don't have amazing data for me. But I was just scrolling through Twitter and I got four Mountain Dew gaming ads right in a row. And I got a Disney um, Cruises ex- exclusively for Disney Plus subscribers. Never have I been on a cruise, nor am I a Disney Plus subscriber. Why are they advertising this to me? Um, not something I'm interested in. Neither is some gaming. Neither is a Lego advertisement, which I just saw for kids. There was, you know, like a, a, a ages like two to five Lego plane that you could build. Those are terrible advertisements. That is you have so much data on me. Just use that data to make better ads that are targeted at me better, and that will increase conversion. That will increase the value of their ad space. That that's it's as simple as that. That's all they have to do to increase monetization. Just get better targeted ads. Yeah, make them. No one wants to advertise on Twitter to target a specific group of people. You know, like I mean, it seems like it's relatively simple on Instagram. If you're if you're a seller on Instagram, there's all these different there's all these different characteristics that you can use where you're targeting an 18 to 25 year old male into fishing. I'm selling a fishing pole. So we want someone like that. And then you sell them in the Southeast because a lot of guys in the Southeast 
you know, fish. So that's, that's the metrics you use. That's the characteristics you use. And then Instagram sends your ad out to those people. It's uh, Instagram can do it really easily, which is another bull case for meta, by the way. Um, but Twitter has just failed and failed and failed and they can't seem to get it right. I don't know. Like I get ads for the stupidest stuff like Walmart marketplace, um, under armor shoes, which I've never bought anything under armor in my entire life. Um, yeah, it's all dumb. Google Chrome, like they're all basic ads that aren't targeted <laughs> at anybody. So the ad space is not worth near as much. Yeah. I, I, I think if, if there, if, if Musk is somehow able to, I obviously, I don't think he can do it on his own because the only marketing that he does at Tesla is just through his own Twitter. That's how they get their marketing. So he's definitely not, you know, um, not knowledgeable and I, I, I would think how to do that. But anyway, if he can hire a team that can just get their, get turn data into better ad placement for Twitter's advertisers, that's the problem solved right there. I don't know why it was so hard for past management teams at Twitter to do it, but that that is the solution right there. They're not struggling with users. They're not struggling with engagement. They're struggling with being able to monetize because their ad tier or their ad um, method is crap. If they fix that, I think this is a much more valuable company, but they just haven't been able to do that. Like you think about FinTwit for a second, everybody in financial Twitter follows each other. It's this giant group. So why are there not, like, why can you not figure out what this group is? You know, like there are collective groups throughout Twitter. I'm a part of a giant collective group of Auburn fans that follow a bunch of Auburn football stuff and all the beat writers for all of Auburn sports. That's a giant group of people that are all following each other. Why, why is it so difficult? I don't understand what the tweets I'm liking, the things I'm viewing, all of that data they have, yet they can't figure out who I am and what I'm interested in. And I don't understand it. They're too busy. All they have to do is advertise Auburn merch. They have too many employees that aren't working. Yeah, that, it's, it's interesting to me. The, like, there's been a few changes to Twitter already. Um, like the edit button's already been implemented for verified users. Like they could do it that quick. Like it's that simple. I don't know. Like, it's just interesting to see someone taking this, this platform that has been so unsuccessful and making these changes quickly already, like right out of the gate, you know, like that's exciting for me because I think it does have a lot of value. They just have to unlock it and we'll see if they can. How, how quickly do you think so? Musk is gonna take this private. How fast do you think he's gonna whip it back out onto onto the open market or on onto the into the public markets? Like, it's gonna be do a you while. think that this will be you know one to really? Because I think Long time. if they're already Long time. making these innovations so fast, I'm thinking two three years they make it better. They see a, a execution with via increased monetization, and then they throw it right back out on. The I'd take five market. years plus because he needs to. He just fired all the directors. He's the only director. He's basically the CEO. It's not officially the CEO. Chief quit. Chief quit or whatever. Yeah. So like, and he, he doesn't want to be there. And I think he's made that pretty clear, but it's, I don't know. I think it's for his like, you know, furthering humanity mission. He doesn't care what he paid, doesn't care what he has to do. So I think going 
public completely goes against that mission, yes, it lets more investors in, which is a good thing, but it's going to slow them down so much in terms of, you know, the other people that have to be okay with his decisions. I think, you know, if he's shelling out so much of a premium for this pretty rough, this company in, in a pretty rough shape, he's going to want full control for a while to do what he wants and then maybe step back and throw it back on the public market and he'll just sit there as a director or something in five, seven, ten years. That's my take. Could be true. Well, I think that finishes up. Um, we got to get out of here. But thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening wherever you're you're getting your content from. Um, again, we reached, we passed over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So we're going to be posting some videos in the next couple weeks about our portfolios and what stocks we own. So definitely go subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're, if you're listening to the podcast, we really appreciate it. It's the only way to grow our channel, but thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.